Welcome to part two of Incredible Parava. Following on from the first episode, Parava talks in intricate detail about her time at Marriott, which saw growth from six to 40 hotels in India. Parava and her team are responsible for completely changing the hotel selling landscape in the country via many country firsts. The first Marriott showcase, the opening hotel pathway, the first full sales team incentive plan, as well as introducing many new brands to India. As a result of her success, Parava was subsequently headhunted to join hotel giant Hilton and to recruit and build a world-class sales organization from the ground up. Her mandate was to create an enviable sales legacy and to create and build something new. She certainly did that and she explains in detail the strategy and the tactics she employed. Parava then talks about her move with Hilton to the Asia Pacific head office in Singapore on her focus in relation to driving meetings and groups business and initiatives in her strategic leadership role. Parava also gives her view on diversity in the India and global hotel arena and gives some forthright views on how female role accession can be improved. The pod concludes by seeking Parava's opinion on inbound itineraries to India, her post-COVID vacation plans, and her guide to where one can find the very finest Indian cuisine in Singapore. Enjoy. Parava, you, you then joined hotel giant Marriott International and spent six years there, which thanks to your contribution and also obviously development, there was a huge upswing in new hotel openings and expansion for the group during your time. Is it possible just to talk a little bit about how that experience was for you and where Marriott went from a footprint from and to when you when you moved on? If I were to answer this in one word, Gareth, I would say brilliant, that experience. Um, so, you know, when I actually joined the Marriott, uh, I was laid off by this local hotel, um, the one that I referred to with my other story. And it was the first time that I just didn't have a job. And it was quite a shock to me. And I had a young uh, daughter at that point in time. I was like, oh my God, this is going to be tough. And um, two months later, I got the opportunity to, um, you know, work with Marriott again through my network and, you know, just reaching out to people and saying, hey, I'm here and you think I can do this. So on many fronts, I think my Marriott tenure was positively life altering. Uh, I was coming from a very um, challenged mind space. It gave me the confidence back that I needed to be fairly honest. And uh, the role I was playing there when I got hired was, uh, what was it exactly called? I think it was called Director of Sales for Delhi Region, something like that. And um, Marriott had no hotels in Delhi or the National Capital Region at that point in time. So we were working off a remote office in an office building. And here I had just moved from, like we spoke, the Oberoi, the Shangri-La, the Imperial, you know, sort of the glamorous hotel side into an office building. I was like, oh my God, okay, that's change. Um, and, and we were like a really small team uh, at that point in time. And Marriott had six hotels. So the role was for me and my team to get business from Delhi as a source market 
and sent to these six hotels. One would think this could be very easy, but obviously we, we started building on that momentum. We started building on the relationships I had and the team had. Um, and by the time I moved on from the Marriott, six years later, uh, there were 40 hotels. So it was very, very rapid growth. Uh, not to forget, opening hotels was not as refined as it's today. So, you know, there was everything manually done and heavily involved. Uh, this is like a decade ago, right? Or maybe a bit more. Uh, the whole the, the, the whole pre-opening culture was very raw and brazen, but hotels were just opening one after the other. Uh, and that also, I think, made my tenure very, very special. Besides having lifelong friends uh, from the Marriott, uh, that opportunity gave me a really good platform to um, to be, you know, to to be known as a reputable travel or you know contributor or leader or partner. That just because the hotels were opening and I was traveling a lot and helping these hotels to open, it just gave the opportunity me, to me for many, 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 many firsts. Uh, you know, we, and I can say this with pride, we actually changed the hotel selling landscape in the country. Uh, the way traditional hotel sales theme was set up to what we created and, and this was obviously a team effort, but I was an absolute integral part of it. Uh, we created an above property sales organization. Uh, my leader at that time um, gave me an opportunity to run that organization. So it was a different challenge. So that was the second first. Uh, we created an annual MICE event like a Marriott owned MICE show, which was a first. Um, we introduced, um, the sales incentive plan, a first. Um, we created an opening pathway because we were opening so many hotels, which was semi-automated. Again, a first. In that tenure alone, I think I opened 25 hotels, uh, pre-active, actively opening. Uh, we went into new markets. We went to markets where there was no hotel at all. I remember talking actually to people and telling them what is a hotel. We went into secondary markets uh, that did not have airports, which meant you touched down somewhere else, rode up for six hours in a cab. And, you know, just that was so, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure you can understand these are things to stay with somebody for a very, very long time. Uh, we were the team that launched uh, the Courtyard as a brand for the first time. Uh, we were the team that launched the first hotel in the national capital region, the Courtyard in Gurgaon. So the list of firsts was so many that six years just went by in a uh, jiffy. And um, also I think the, the culture was extremely, extremely uh, employee centric. So that just made it so much easier to do the job. So yeah, it was a very, uh, like I said, brilliant tenure of mine. Well, your efforts obviously didn't go unnoticed because you were then headhunted by Marriott's biggest competitor, Hilton, and joined as the regional director of sales for India. So get, first of all, that appointment, you must have been extremely proud as to how your career had gone and then, you know, being requested to join at such a senior role with a competitor. So what were the early focuses and then what noticeable differences were there between the two US giants and their respective approaches to the Indian market? Um, yeah, I do remember that phone call, um, which was very humbling. I was having lunch in the cafeteria and uh, I'm crazy with dates. Anybody who knows me will know that. So I remember the date, interestingly. And I get this call, hey, are you interested in an opportunity? And just naturally, my first instinct was, no, I love what I do. No, I'm very happy here. Um, and then a little bit of persuasion led to a conversation. Uh, and now I've been with Hilton for seven years, which has also been very exciting. So I think uh, 
the role of the regional director of sales for India for Hilton was um, the mandate I was given was very, very clear. I was told that we're giving you a clean slate, go ahead and build and create an enviable sales legacy. And uh, the mandate actually excited me more than anything else because yet again, I was given an opportunity to create and build something new. I had that fresh experience with me. Uh, and you know, as you process things over a period of time, you realize, oh my God, this is what I really like to do. You know, I, I like new things. I like to create things and I, I like to build things. So I really uh, set out to do so. And trust me, it was really a clean slate. There was no sales team to start with. So, you know, you were pretty much building your empire, your own self kind of stuff. So um, we started, or I started actually the first thing like I think most would do is actually build a team, which made us get some sort of noise and, uh, you know, sort of a headroom in a very, very competitive Delhi or uh, uh, you know, India market. So we started building that team. And as I was working through that process, I think to your question, what stood out that while you're asking me what were, what was different between the two giants or what is different between the two giants, I think I'd say my personal view really is both companies have a similar objective for the Indian market. However, the approach is a bit different. Uh, Hilton was actually the first international hotel company to foray into the Indian market. I trained the Hilton and I worked in my Hilton. My first hotel job was a Hilton. Uh, however, the approach was uh, more partnership-led. So Hilton went into a partnership with DLF, which unfortunately fell through uh, due to the 2008 financial crisis. So long and short of it is, I can actually still tell you a very long list of similarities, um, people-centric, very genuine, um, open communication, very, and, and this is in a good way, very American style of operating, you know, because both the companies have got home bases there, large hotels, or larger distribution of hotels, so on and so forth. I think, so the commonalities actually overtake the differentiators. Um, and I think really last year with everything being so edgy, uh, I obviously read a lot. I still have some of my best friends at the Marriott. And as you talk and you understand what the companies went through a similar journey side by side parallelly. So that was the recent most testament to say that, hey, it's not too different. Uh, obviously, uh, on, on the lighter side, it's, uh, they are a good competition, you know, it, it works both ways. So this is, I think the, the expanse of, uh, intent, objective, aim, goal, both in my view is the same, uh, very sincere to the Indian customer, very sincere to the Indian market, uh, just the way one approaches it for me, I think is a bit different. And that's and that's like, I also noticed that during my Marriott tenure and I see it here, clients, team members, associates, as we term them, I think really appreciate the authenticity both the companies bring to the Indian market. We've got Hilton hotels or brand, most brands are in India. Marriott's got a reasonably large distribution in India. The Indian customers accepting them and wanting to go back time and time again. So I think that itself is a huge uh, move in the right direction to say, you know, we are here to stay. We are long-term partners. So I think, I believe that that foundation is firmly set now and it's there to stay for both the hotel companies in my view, at least. Thank you, Parava. You, you headed up the India region very successfully for four and a half years. And one of the things that you conceptualized and launched was the, the Great India Showcase, which each year saw 
lots of international hotels from around the globe head to India, specifically to New Delhi, to Bangalore and Mumbai. And I had the great privilege of attending many of these also. Um, can you talk a bit about the, the Great India Showcase and then some of the nuances behind doing a sales call in India and how, how they welcome you? Because in all honesty, if I were able to fly out and do a sales trip tomorrow, the first place I'd like to go is India, just because of the warmth and the, the hospitality that you're given in the offices rather than, I don't know, a 10 minute slot in a New York office before being chased out. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so the Great India Showcase is like the feather in my cap amongst a few other things. Uh, you know, taking a step back, the, the, the need for the Great India Showcase really arose, uh, like I shared with you, we didn't have a team. So once I built the team, how do we reach out to key but mass customer base? So I said, you know, one of the better ways to do it is actually have a showcase, which has the interest bound for the customer. So think about a customer, I mean, anywhere in the world, they've got ample choice today. Uh, they've got ample people who reach out to them from the travel industry for one thing or the other. And I was here to think in my own space, like we need to make a mark. We need to do something which would stand out. Um, and to be fairly honest, the plan always was that this is going to be an annual recurring event. So it wasn't a one-time thing. So we started building and conceptualizing it that way. And we said, oh my God, this costs a lot of money. How do we get that going? Besides budgets and everything else where the markets were good, we said, I think the best or the most opportune uh, idea would be to get our international hotels in front of the right customer. So we we built off that concept for what it became the Great India Showcase. And um, we kept the three cities that you mentioned, uh, Gareth, purely these are the largest source markets. Uh, and when we were starting off, we said, you know what, let's start with basics. Let's get this right for us to then go further on to different markets or different uh, potential cities where we could have similar customer base or even more for that matter. So um, year one was an absolute success, which then encouraged the team and me to say, oh my God, we have got this really right. How can we improvise and how can we make it more meaningful? So we, we, we didn't go for quantity. We never said, let's make it larger. We just said our pillars are going to be relevant and meaningful. So on the hotel side or our international hotels, the Hilton uh, portfolio, it was encouraging when people started writing emails to you. Hey, when is it happening next year? I want to put this in my budget. It was very meaningful. Oh, we love this. And obviously the end of the day, uh, we all know with all trade shows, somewhere or the other, you need returns to come in. And our hotel started getting the business and outbound potential in India is absolutely phenomenal and here to stay and continues growing. So uh, you, you realized or we realized very early on that this is something that we're gonna focus on. This is something we are gonna build on. Uh, and, and the final uh, testimony was when I had customers say, hey, we'd like to be invited for that dinner in Mumbai. Like, oh my God. Now we are talking, we actually had to also unfortunately sometimes say we are up to capacity. So it just worked on all fronts and we were able to get, uh, get coverage and mileage and people knew about Hilton once again because there was a little sort of gap in that customer, uh, uh, you know, sort of in the customer's mind. Uh, so that's pretty much what we did with the Great India Showcase. Um, extremely rewarding and extremely tiring. That one week, you needed a holiday after this week. I can tell you that for sure. Uh, we've done this together, Gareth. You take morning flights, 
you do trade shows, then you do sales calls, then you do dinners, then you pack your bags, and next morning you're into a different city. Um, <clears throat> but I think the momentum and the energy is so awesome. It doesn't let you slow down, but after the week, you do need a break to sort of <laughs> recover uh, from uh, these conversations. And, and yeah, I mean, I enjoyed all aspects of it, but I'm gonna to touch upon the sales call aspect. Uh, and I'm happy to hear given a chance you'll go and sales call in India. It is truly different. Um, I, I have sales call in various countries, including New York and London, and that experience has been very different too. Uh, so here's, here's like a typical sales call in India for those who've not sales called yet in India. Um, it's a long sales call. It's long. It just takes time. Um, I, I'd advise keep an hour aside, minimum. Uh, there are varied, varied, varied conversation points. Uh, family, friends, food weather, the new bar in town, nostalgia. Oh my God, when we did this event together in 2008. Uh, oh my God, how are your kids? Oh, which school are they going to? Oh, how's your partner? Um, it's truly, truly, truly relationship-led and driven. And, uh, and this is reciprocated both ways. Uh, the person who's going for the sales call and the customer who's receiving that you know, hotel or BMC or any travel partner coming to sales call. Uh, it is, it's a, the trust in the relationship is a huge factor for that business ever getting even sourced or transacted. Uh, after this, you know, detailed discussion and the tea and the coffee and the cookies and some Indian snacks, depends on which part of India you sales calling on, maybe like three or four sentences will come off the true objective of the sales call, uh, which could mean pitching a destination, which could mean talking about a refurbished hotel. So that's just a small component, which is more like a passing by discussion uh, rather than the total um, content or the total sales call of that uh, customer. Uh, and I think most customers are genuinely open and hospitable, most. I can say 95 to 96%, safe to say. Uh, and, and this sales call that I'm very briefly described is just the beginning of that business that you want to eventually transact or source or achieve. There are times where you potentially, for a big piece of business, are meeting the same customer three times a week for the same piece of business. Uh, and don't be surprised, you could be talking about the same things again. Uh, but that's the only way I think the market or the customer relationship becomes so valued. Even today now, I've been in Singapore for a couple of years. I have friends, customers, travel colleagues who will just drop a note. It means nothing. I mean, in the sense, I'm not, I'm not selling really right now from a closed window kind of concept. But I think these relationships go and take you so, so, so long away. Somebody said, hey, my niece is coming to Singapore. She's going to uni. You know, can you look her up once in a while? You're really taking that relationship to the next level, uh, which, which gives it purity. It is not transactional at all. Not. Uh, I've, I'll tell you, many, many years ago, uh, we had a similar sort of roadshow uh, with a particular hotel company. And I had one of our leaders um, from one of the European countries sales calling with me in Mumbai. And like 45 minutes into that conversation, this particular leader said, you know, I, my calendar was only blocked for 45 minutes. Let's go because we're not talking work. So what I'm trying to tell you is like, they didn't get it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You've got to invest in that relationship uh, to truly, truly uh, build. It's, it's actually lifelong. Unless you really mess it up. These relationships are here to stay. I mean, I can even today pick up the phone and get a lot of stuff done. And similarly for these customers or clients, forget the teams that have worked with me and forget the people who worked with me as colleagues, but just pure customers. 
So, so yeah, that's that's a typical sales call. Half time when you get there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I remember just the the hospitality. You talked about tea and sandwiches, and and every every sales call there was just an an amazing amount of warmth. And particularly as you said, it's it's an ongoing thing. So the second year it got even larger, and the third year even more familiarity in the relationship was obviously that that much more enhanced. But um, yeah, it, it's a great place. So if, you, if, if any listeners not done sales trips to India post COVID, it's the place you need to, you really need to go. And what you always included, which you did, didn't mention, but the importance of education. So the first section of that roadshow week, we were always privileged that you'd organized a very senior guest speaker from within the industry. And it would be every bullet point that they gave you of the market was brand new takeaway for everyone that has come from maybe Toronto, Turkey, any part of Asia. And you, you, so you're leaving with stacks of business cards, enhanced relationships with the sales teams, and just a much more detailed knowledge of the market than when you'd arrived that five days prior. So Parava, you talked about Singapore. You, you've been in Singapore since... 2018 you now head up groups and meetings and are integral part of the commercial leadership team for Hilton is it possible to talk through some of the highlights of your time in Singapore and the role and how you found working in Southeast Asia compa compared to India um, so I'll just say um and you know it as well, right? I'd been visiting Singapore regularly for work for many, many years. Uh, you know, the good old days when you would plan for a three-day, four-day sales meet or a leadership meeting and so on. So, and I'd holidayed here before I started traveling to the city. So I had, I thought to myself, to be fairly honest, that I have uh, a relatively good idea uh, of what a brilliant island country it is. But what really stood out is the clockwork efficiency. Um, I come from a place, and I truly do appreciate it, and I miss it. I call it action of semi-chaos. You know, it's just different. India is different. But Singapore, for somebody like me, who's a bit sort of obsessed with getting things done, particular time, particular way, I think it really complemented my personality. Uh, so I think just the high proficiency and efficiency levels stand out. It's just brilliant. It adds quality to life overall for no other reason, but it just, it just makes it so much easier. Uh, and, you know, and the second thing, which I'm not second really, but actually the most important thing that was playing in our minds was, or what we've begun to enjoy much more is the safety aspect. You know, we have a young daughter at home, just her going out in this country is I don't need to worry, you know. Um, okay, the Indian mom and me may worry a little bit eventually, but uh, you know, I know she's safe. I think that that was that is a huge, huge thing, and uh, she also appreciates the freedom that she has. Uh, otherwise, in India, it was like we would go to drop her, we would go to pick her up. We've sat outside when the kids have watched a movie, you know. So it was just a bit more of monitoring and policing for safety reasons and nothing else. So I think that aspect becomes really, um, that, that becomes sort of uh, important. And, uh, you know, what's, and, you know, the other thing is it's still close to home. Good old days, five hours, you're home. You know, you take a flight. And also there is a lot of Indian flavor and culture in Singapore itself, we know that. Uh, that, that didn't make the move shocking in any way at all. Uh, you know, it, however, on the professional side, uh, taking up this role was again, very, very different. Uh, I, like we've shared for now a bit, I've, I've always, I had always worked in India. It was my home turf. I was in a comfort zone. Um, a lot of work was happening by a phone call. Uh, I had built uh, an element of credibility in the industry. Um, so when, when this role came up, um, and to be fairly honest, my husband actually challenged me to say, you're getting too comfortable. Uh, you've got potential to, you know, walk the unbeaten path. Huh? 
let's move. I was like, oh my God, I didn't even think of it to be fairly honest. And it was very well-timed and coupled with the opportunity to sort of head up group meeting and events for Asia Pacific. Uh, and, and the roles are diverse, right? In India, I was really in the thick of everything. However, here, and you know this role a bit yourself, Gareth, is very strategic, it's far-sighted, it's, uh, it's initiative-led. Uh, the outcome and the results will come months, quarters, or years later, what we are trying to do. Uh, it's talking to a different level of leadership. Uh, it's truly global in nature. Uh, how do you align with your colleagues in the Americas? How do you align with your colleagues in Europe, Middle East, Africa? How do you get Asia Pacific relevance into the role? So, so much, so much changed suddenly from my India role to here, uh, from the role itself, uh, from the responsibility, all my commercial life, I was chasing a number, market share, RPI, whatever, various things. But here actually, my key deliverable was very, very wide scoped. How do you just improve group meeting and events overall? And that could mean from the customer aspect, that could mean from um, technology aspect, that could mean anything and everything. So I thought I just got into something which was very different. The first maybe one week I said, oh my God, this is like, where's the action in this job? And yeah, three years later, very busy, very fortunate, very grateful, uh, truly love uh, what I do. Uh, also, like I said, over the years, you start seeing the outcome of the work that you've done in this kind of role. Um, and um, it's, uh, it's, it's encouraging, you know, people just drop your note to say that, you know, this initiative really worked for us, or you know what, this was a well thought out initiative for that matter. So I think it's been a very, um, it, it's been rewarding differently. Uh, and obviously trying to make a little friend circle or group or network in Singapore, because, you know, we just came from a very, I mean, you'd get, in India, I would go to get my nails done and I would meet three people. <laughs> and here, it could be three weeks and we've not met anybody else. So, you know, just that perspective uh, initially was a bit, not tough, but yeah, different. But I think we're well settled here and we love it here for sure. Very good. You're very passionate about gender and diversity and have worked extremely hard in, in the companies that you've been with to spearhead different initiatives. In, in India, it looks to be even more male-centric in the hospitality industry than potentially some other markets with a, a slightly lower percentage of female GMs and senior executives. Are there any movements or industry associations that you feel are working actively to, to drive better representation and, and diversity and, and, and any thoughts on what, what may move the needle in that area? So, so here's the extension of the challenge, Gareth, uh, and I will risk saying this. Uh, my intent is not to offend, uh, however, I will state a fact. Um, men in C-suites are making decisions on diversity. That, in my view, personal view itself is a fundamental challenge. To drive diversity, you need to have a diverse voice. Mm -hmm. It's the chicken and egg story, right? How can I drive diversity? Because I'm not diverse, and so on and so forth. So I think really... And, and you are right, I do feel extremely, extremely passionate uh, about gender diversity on multiple levels. Um, you know, starting with my daughter, I want her to be and grow up in a place, in an environment that's fair and square. For myself, I don't want, I don't want the younger generation in the travel ecosystem, specifically in India, to go through challenges, labels that I went through. Why should every generation just struggle the same way? Uh, you know, so I think it's, it's a combination that gets me sort of talking and I'm on the edge of my chair. Uh, the journey has to start with awareness. 
you know, it's the old age role. You've got to first accept where we are. I'm not too sure how many companies today can really openly accept where they are on diversity. You know, is it even, is it even on the agenda? Are we even trying to address it? Does it stick out? So, you know, these are questions I think more leaders, they need to ask themselves. What will happen if I have a diverse workforce? What happens if I will have diversity and have female leaders, more GMs, senior executives, chefs, and so on and so forth? So I think the awareness is really the starting point. Uh, I, I do sense in bits and pieces the awareness is growing. Is it growing at the pace it should? I, I don't know. I can't quantify it. Uh, or to be fairly blatant about it, I can't see it either. Um, and, and, and that could be just me, and that's fine. As far as the travel ecosystem recognizes that this is something that we need. We need to have a gender-balanced environment, workforce, people. And, and, and truly, you know, uh, and it's, it's not only holding a certain set of people responsible. In my view, it takes two to tango. Opportunities have to be given, and at the same time, opportunities have to be taken. Uh, nobody's going to come home and tell you become a senior leader. You know, only if it was that easy, it wouldn't be fun. So I think it's far more complex than just driving an agenda. But if it's not on that list to achieve or to do, we'll never get there. I'll tell you, I recall for the longest time in my career, being the only woman in a meeting room, whether it was five people, 10 people, 15 people, and maybe more. And honestly, trust me, it did not strike me at that time. You know, you're young, you're passionate, you're in the flow, you're just going with the moment. And as time sort of started clicking by, I said, oh my God, this is, this is like crazy. And to be fairly honest, I wasn't expecting anybody to pull a chair for me. Well, I can do that completely myself. So I think the male-centric industry also, you know, it has to change. We have more women who are joining us at, you know, startup positions or starting positions as, say, a sales executive without titles, but, you know, in front desk, a duty manager, so on and so forth. Uh, I... I actually, uh, I actually spoke on something a couple of years ago and I really titled my chat as the small town girl. I, like I told you in the beginning, I came from a small town. There are multiple girls who come from a small town. Everybody's dynamics are different, but we've got a talent pool that is untapped. What will people like me do or what should I do or how can I do this or that to actually get this talent pool confident upbeat how can i support them you know so these are i think just some basic fundamentals that need to evolve in the work culture uh, and not only in india i think just largely everywhere so there were you know many 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 things that were taboo decades ago uh, my mom for a very long time said everything that should not be done is everything you do she would tell me that and well we can still debate about it. Some things maybe I should have not done. But however, I didn't shy away from talking or expressing my views, or even when I was far younger. I'm not too sure who was listening, but I knew that if I don't speak for my own self at that point in time, who will speak for me? So, you know, like when I chose to go to hotel school, because we are from a small town, people who are really close to our family told my parents, it's not a good thing for a girl to go to hotel school. It's not right. Oh my God, she's gonna work night shifts and so on and so forth. So I had the unconditional support of my parents and their trust in me. Say, she'll figure it out. So I think if, and I think about it, if my parents didn't support me, there must be zillions of young girls who may not have the similar support system. 
and therefore i believe it becomes our responsibility men women alike just every you know just naturally nurturing in nature our responsibility to bring the agenda out talk about it share your story do basics do something not doing anything is where my problem begins and trust me it takes courage even today and that is really sad i mean in the world where everything's happening on social media and digitizations overtaken everything you can get a potato to milk online but you can't talk of real people issues so i think uh, i think that whole sentiment of acceptance and awareness is where we really are obviously around the world there are certain evolved countries and talk about it like how does that happen so one of the few associations that i volunteer for uh, in india is called wiki which is basically the women's indian chamber of commerce and industry and the hospitality chapter is recently launched i think um shy of a year so they are really really uh, active uh, and they do wellness they do um, hospitality they do law legal so everything around women but the hospitality chapters acting like i said i volunteer and we do i actually conduct a few fireside chats talk to people uh, just get their story out you know and you never know what may click for whom how and what uh, what may really be the next you know next how can you facilitate somebody's next move a tough talk uh, and just driving that simple allyship i mean i have people who reach out on linkedin whom i don't know actually they are connected and that's okay uh, and you know in linkedin you have that option would you like could you counsel people and stuff and i i talk to people like from various parts of the world i don't know them but if my experience life experience if my work experience if my experience as a single mom my experience as a mom as a sister anything can come in handy i think it's time in my view for myself our generation to start giving back a bit and this is what i've chosen to give back thank you parava you relentless energy is one of your personal qualities and and clearly you you've had opportunities but you've always made the most and and delivered and and done an exceptional job if you were to look back at at some of the leaders that you've worked for and learned from are there any that you'd like to call out and and some of those opportunities that you think you know that that if you're a young uh female going to uh university in mangalore in 2021 you can still reach the heights of senior leadership that you have if you follow a career path and are determined to do so yes short answer absolutely yes but you know a few leaders instantly come to my mind uh and and, and there are two reasons why they come to my mind one uh because i am in touch with them they continue to inspire me help me um you know talk to me or i talk to them when i have challenges or vice versa for that matter um now what what really i think from the career progression and the younger version or anybody who's stepping into any arena or any area uh my experience tells me that these leaders they trust in me to deliver the most challenging assignment most challenging outcome i think motivated me uh there used to be a joke back in the day in the office if it's easy if it's simple she's not going to do it well you know so which also meant that there were times i was very hard on myself you know i was a single mom for the longest time and i was like you would just struggle you know that multitasking didn't come easy uh you know you had to take care of daughter at home her school homework and the purple ribbon school was asking as homework for some reason and then there was work deliverables and there was a team so i think these leaders or you know two or three that specifically come to my mind gave me the flexibility that i referred to or spoke with earlier and that's how i learned they said do your work so you know my daughter would actually come to office on saturdays yeah we were working six days a week back then she would come to office on saturday because you know i'm working her school is off 
So that also fostered a very healthy relationship with my team and all. You know, it's, I think just the ability to do the job in your own style, these leaders gave me that. And that would be my advice to anybody who's, who's you know, stepping into uni or trying to define a career path. Don't lose your individuality. Don't get stamped by, um, this is the way it should be done. Well, you know what? It can always change. And that's how exactly the advice I give to my daughter. Create your own niche. Uh, and, and I think more and more as people grow and get into complex corporate, uh, you know, the corporate world, I said, uh, it's really critical to have an advocate, uh, you know, a spokesperson, somebody, who, somebody who's got your back, very cliched, very, I'm like, every second management book that you read will tell you the same message one way or the other. Uh, and I am telling you, and I'm coming from a place of experience, um, if that is missing in your career, especially when you're trying to take the leap from you know, mid-management to senior roles, people need to see you and perceive you. And, uh, and for that, you need spokespeople, you know, people who will actually put in a word for you when you're not there. And that's, I think that's truly a differentiator. And when that is missing or lacking, and unfortunately, uh, it's a competitive world, uh, you, you sometimes could get left behind and you could be better than anybody else who gets a role, for example, in terms of career progression. So I think that knowing who's your ally at work, knowing who's got your back, uh, are all these un... Uh, untaught skills, you don't learn them at uni. Nobody told me back in uni. You know, you just fall, you pick yourself up, you learn the hard way, uh, and you move on to uh, move on to basically creating your own sort of brand yourself. And I, and I think the last thing on this topic is like respect time. Uh, over the years, um, I've just learned that <laughs> there is shortage of time. Uh, we're always running and chasing uh, targets or goals or objectives or deadlines or timelines or, oh, it's the fifth of the month, I've got to pay my credit card bill. Everything's so wrapped up in time. Uh, I think just respect, respecting each other's time uh, is a valuable lesson I learned from one of the leaders who comes to my mind. When he, when he just came into India and he was my boss, I was quite surprised. He set a meeting, Gareth, a meeting invite came for eight minutes, eight. I was like, oh my God, that must be a typo or a mistake. Who sets a meeting for eight minutes? Minimum you do is 15. I, was my thing. And actually we went on to this call and he said, it is actually for eight minutes. So you've already lost one minute discussing this. Prioritize and tell me. He's a dear friend today. And I learned so much. So, so, so much. So I think Again, just surround yourself with great people, right? We we've all been there, and you know we and we still need it after so many years. It doesn't change. It's not like okay, I've worked twenty years in the industry. I don't need A, B, C, D, E, F. No, in fact, the dependency on these uh, allies and these spokespeople only continues to increase. It's you know it's it's tough. Parav, if you look back over the twenty-five years of your incredibly successful career. What would you, or what would stand out to you as some of the sliding doors moments where you were faced with milestone decisions and, and took potentially the right ones to steer you in the direction to where you are now? So in my view, the sliding door moments are also the defining moments. Um, eventually uh, I can comfortably say they turned out well. However, uh, there, there were times when I thought these moments or decisions in the short term or the real term were more challenging than I thought they could be. So I, I, I'll tell you a very quick story. I was working at the Shangri-La New Delhi as a pre-opening uh, hotel team member. I was the director of events and uh, it was actually a very, very exciting role. We had just brought the brand to the country, city center, luxury at its best, thriving on all fronts. And a uh, couple of years down the line in that role, I said, you know what, I am 
not going to be learning much more is what I thought at that point in time. And I took a conscious decision or made a conscious call for myself to actually look at uh, an opportunity with the Imperial that we spoke of earlier. And that position was in terms of title and money, both uh, a bit behind. And many people challenged me, largely friends at that time. Are you sure you're doing the right thing? You know, you could potentially be the next director of sales and marketing, XYZ, uh, just stick where you are. Uh, and I thought for my career to just widen my horizon and understand the true international business that we spoke of and what does it really mean to be selling over luxury? How does it feel to work in one of the finest hotels Asia would ever have? What would that experience be? And I took that decision and I knew very well it's not going to be a lifetime career at the Imperial and, uh, and, I, and I moved on. Uh, so I think good three to four weeks were uh, thought-provoking on many fronts. The culture was different. The people was dif were different. Expectations were different. And like I shared, the way we were selling was different. So at that point in time, it felt like a sliding door moment. But when I actually look back and reflect and retrospect, I think it was defining. I was able to create uh, my own brand equity in the international market of sorts particularly where, where India was concerned. And uh, it turned out to be rewarding. So that's just one thing that comes to my mind. And, uh, you know, I think every time I've gotten out of my comfort zone in most scenarios has been by choice uh, and eventually has uh, turned out to be really good. I do like the refresh and restart aspect. And Having said that, I do like the sense of continuity too. I think I'm always in search of that fine balance. Sometimes it tipples on one side, but um, I think when you've got a few years behind you, these things are bound to happen. Uh, I can say, fortunately, not, nothing that really made me regret any of my career decisions so far. Excellent. And e even with hindsight bias, that looks like a tremendous decision on, in retrospect. However, if I were to give you a new role now as head of Indian Tourism Board and Incredible India, there'd be many successful campaigns, but a lot of long haul markets wouldn't potentially know what itineraries may look like, which cities, which resorts, where they should, should go. If, you, if someone were to come from Europe, Australia, North America, what would you recommend in terms of a first comer to India? What should they, should they do? Before anybody decides to travel to India, and I've given this friendly advice or shared my experience uh, over coffees and wines, uh, just be prepared. It's like when you want Indian business, as we said, uh, similarly, when you're going to be taking a holiday to India, be prepared. Uh, and, and, and why I say this is people have traveled to India for the first time, either they come, come, come back or get back to their home countries or locations completely enchanted and can't wait to get on the next flight back to India, or they come back or they return after this holiday scarred for a lifetime. Uh, it, is, it is an intense country. Uh, there are uh, very, very deep-lined thoughts and uh, the way, just the way the functioning of day-to-day -day life happens. So coming back, if you're a first-time uh, traveler into India, even if you're planning, and I'm sure everybody plans a lot and we've got more time than ever before now to plan, I would really uh, suggest the well-beaten path of the Golden Triangle. That primarily means you touch down in Delhi or New Delhi, the capital, a very, very, very rich culturally, uh, takes probably all boxes or more. Uh, again, you can choose where you want to stay. You want to do the backpacking. Uh, those options are available. And then uh, you've got ample luxury available and everything in between. And you could juggle around them. So uh, that's on the accommodation side. Uh, food is phenomenal. You'll get flavors of multiple northern part of the countries. You know, uh, food scenes hot and happening in Delhi. In terms of uh, tours and uh, other travel-related services, again, very enriching. A friend of mine and her husband actually do heritage walks, 
which one would think that in Delhi, oh my God, the pollution and so on and so forth. But they seem to be really popular. And I've taken a couple myself and I used to live there. So there is ample to do. So you touch down in Delhi, you soak in India. First stop, larger city. I feel it could be relatively easy to adapt and acclimatize yourself. And then you do uh, your iconic trip to Agra, which is now by road, a road trip of three hours. Uh, spend at least two nights in Agra, of course, Taj Mahal, as many times as one sees it. And probably everybody's heard it a zillion of times. It is absolutely worth it. You catch the sunset and you catch the sunrise. So that's highly, highly recommended. Um, you also avoid the larger crowds of people if you hit any of those two uh, time zones. Uh, again, ample options to stay. Uh, and you'll already see moving from Delhi to Agra how different the two cities are, regardless one being the capital and you know one still developing and you've got everything around and a lot more to see in Agra. And then in my view, you head down to my personal favorite in the Golden Triangle, Jaipur, which gives you a very intense uh, flavor of what Rajasthan has to uh, offer. It's got, again, a distinct uh, hospitality aspect to it the language and the dialect changes, the way people speak English tools changes. So there is a lot of flavor. It's very, very tourist friendly. Uh, that's what, you know, Jaipur mostly thrives on in terms of uh, even the economics of the uh, city. And it's the capital of Rajasthan. And I think three to four days in Jaipur should be really uh, a good way to start. So this is like more like a 10-day trip, I'm thinking somebody's coming long haul would at least or should do 10 days. And uh, you take that memory of India back. And if you're coming back, then there's a different itinerary, which I'll share later. I'd probably go down south and look at, look at the backwaters and enjoy a completely different uh, experience uh, that India has to offer. Thank you, Parova. Uh, Singapore has tremendous Indian restaurants. And, and obviously Indian cuisine is extremely important. Is there a, a restaurant that you found that you frequent or, or would recommend to anyone that resides in Singapore that wanted to experience Indian cuisine at its best? That is a tough one. I'll tell you, when we moved here a couple of years ago, we tried so many and we were so, so new to uh, Singapore, we always compared to uh, takeaways or dine-ins that and the experience we had back home in India. Uh, I think what we've sort of semi-settled to say, uh, there is an Indian restaurant, Dabbawala at Robertson Key. That is authentic and really good. We dine in, we take out food. Um, and then you've got really these, uh, if you're brave enough, uh, small restaurants in little India, which do local cuisines. They won't really do the regular South Indian or North Indian food, but uh, so my husband is Gujarati, so we get to a certain place for Gujarati food. Then you've got the Indian street food, which is different. So there's Kailash Parbat in Little India. So for street food, we get there. So I think we've got these little pockets uh, of uh, places that I would recommend, but Garrett, especially for you, I think you and the family need to come home. That is where you get the best Indian dinner. I can tell you that to our place. Very good. Thank, thank you, Paravo. And, and very last question, you've been very generous with your time and insights. Lockdown, clearly you, you haven't been able to travel and post ITB and early 30s, you, you've made up for your time not traveling by traveling extensively. Where, where would you like to go when travel becomes more opened up and hopefully COVID challenges are, are significantly reduced from where they are now? So the optimistic me has promised my daughter, whichever border opens first, that's where we are going. It's as simple as that. There's always a lot to learn when you go to any place. And we, of course, want to get out, to be fairly honest. Uh, so yeah, whichever border opens uh, up and we can come back without a quarantine, that would be good to start with. But if really given a chance, we do want to do a luxury holiday again to uh, Bali. And we've spoken about it so many times. It's pretty much like fantasy. We'll go there, we'll be in the resort. We're gonna have breakfast in the pool and we're gonna do the walks and we're gonna go to the spa. So I think, uh, yeah, that would be uh, 
something uh, hopefully happens very quickly. Wonderful. Well, well, thank you so much, Parava, for for your value time and insights. It, it was incredible working with you, and I, I feel I know you even more now, having gone all the way back to four and a half years of age, being being sent off to get your education up in the up in the mountains. So, thank you truly for taking us through your remarkable career, which is only going in one direction as you continue to climb the corporate ladder. So, thank you ever so much, Parava. It's truly been a pleasure. My pleasure, Gareth.